Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me as I pray? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the beauty of what we have just experienced in the last hour here. Um, just the power of story, the power of um, your call on hearts to go and preach the gospel to all the world. Lord, the power of your prayer, to, of, of just being able to communicate with you, Lord, that you bend your ear low. And it's, and it's when we get to take a moment and just be still and, and quiet before you that, that we really sense that, um, that your attention is on us. And so, Lord, I thank you for that truth. Lord, I do thank you for the truth that we have no reason to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all to believe, who believe, first to the Jew and then to the entire world. For in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed for faith from faith. And I pray that, that, that it would do its work, that your word, where the power is, would do its work in our souls this morning. For the fame and the glory of your name, we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please remain standing while Tirsa comes up here and reads the word of God. Romans five twelve to 21. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before this, the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who has yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the, sin of this, for the sin of this, no man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gifts led to our being right, made right from God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, for the sin of this no man, death, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. Through the, this one man, Jesus Christ, Adam's one, yes, Adam's one, Sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person died, disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one another, but because one another person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, sweet girl, for reading the word of the Lord. And yeah, in power. I, yeah, amen. I, I would not have done that when I was her age. I don't even know what her age is. I just remember her as a fat little pudgy baby, but um, which she's not anymore. But hey, grab your Bibles and open them up. Um, 
to Romans chapter 5. It's where we're going to be today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand because you are going to need a Bible today. Because we're going to be in several different passages. We're going to be moving from beginning to end of God's Word today in different ways. And so you want to have a Bible, we have some that we'd love to give you. If you did not bring one or don't own one, we'd love to just give you one as a gift as well. But um, guys, I just, I just little public service announcement. There is a virus that is traveling around the globe. But here's the bad news. It is 100% fatal. Everybody has it. And everybody who has it dies. But here's the good news. There is not only an antidote to that virus, but there is an actual immunization that really works to cure even the symptoms of the illness. And so what we're going to talk about today is this idea of how are we brought from that place of death by this virus to a place of life because of the antidote. But before we get there, I want to ask our first talking points question, and that is, what kind of specific problems, just to start on a high note here, what sorts of specific problems are we seeing in our world today? Short, I want like one, two-word answers to this. I don't want you to get, this is not your time to get up and talk and, and share your um, views on politics or something else, but what, what are some problems that we see in the world today? Identity crisis, Identity crisis. huge. Hunger. huge. What's that? Hunger. Hunger. Corruption. Corruption. Manipulation. Manipulation. Resentment. Resentment. Hatred. I heard somebody say war. Right? I mean, you know, we can't forget what's going on in the Ukraine right now, and, and that's just one of several conflicts going around on our globe right now. Good. I heard somebody else say control, a fight. I mean, that's ultimately what all of this is about, is a fight for control, right? And so the, the thing we're going to look at today is not just what is God's solution to that, but even how did this all come about? Like, like why is this part of our sin condition? How did we get this virus? Paul is going to transition us today in the second half of chapter 5 from sort of the what the problem is to why we got here. Like, like, why, like he's going he's gonna to go from the generalities of we're all sinners, God's plan was, this has been God's plan from the beginning to save people through Christ, and he's going to get into the, over the next few chapters that we're going to be covering over the coming weeks, he's going to get into a lot of the detail, like, like it's, it's almost like a surgeon or a, a doctor saying, hey, I, I, now, I, now that I've diagnosed what the, the illness is, I want to I start looking at this illness is showing itself through these sorts of symptoms. Like, like here's what brought this illness on. And so we're going to look at that today as we look at um, Romans chapter 5. And what we're, what I'm, um, the question we're going to ask today is, do you know that you were dead? Do you know that you were dead? And, and the reason we're going to start there, and I know, again, it sort of sounds like Paul's on this negative rant, but just like Last week when we looked at about this idea of, um, Abby just read it as, as in Romans 10, 5, 10, that, that when we were still enemies with sinners, we were reconciled, we have peace with God. And we talked about how to really appreciate the peace that we have with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have to understand something first. And that something first is we were at war. Like, like peace isn't that big a deal if you think you're already pretty much at peace with God. But if you realize you're at war with God, then peace is a much bigger deal. It's the same thing with today. As we talk about death and life, guys, if we don't really understand that we are really dead, 
prior to Christ, then the, then the new life in Christ that God brings us is what is just, it's, oh, well, thanks for that, but I'll go on living my life. It's because I don't think we believe we were really, really dead. So what we're going to look at today in this passage, we're going to look at how sin's death means we all need life that only comes to us through Christ. So let's look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12. We left off, this is what we finished up with verse 11 last week, and we're going to look at our first point, this, this idea of sin's death. And Paul starts in with that word that we point out all the time, therefore, and we want to ask what the therefore is therefore. Here's what's interesting about this therefore. This therefore is not connected to what is right above it. He's not saying, in light of what I just said at the end of that section of chapter 5, 9, 10, and 11, which I wish that's what he was saying, he's tying this part of Romans all the way back to Romans 3. Now, we're not going to turn there, but Romans 3 was where he says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So from that point, from Romans 3, 20 through 23 or 24, he has been unfolding. And here's the thing. The pro, the, so, so God had this promise through Abraham. That was chapter four. And then he's like, and then last week we have peace with God through this reconciliation at the cross. That was the first part of chapter five. Now he's gonna say, therefore, how did we get to this? Pl- like, like, what is the detailed specifics? of how do we get to this place where we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God? And he, he says, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, that's the virus, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you're hearing a lot of that Romans 3 language there. That's not Romans 5 language, that was Romans 3. That's how we know he's tying this therefore all the way back to Romans 3. He's saying that they've all we've all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before there was a law given. But sin is not, was not counted where there is no law. Now, what is he talking about? Now, one, he's already told us why the law exists. The law exists to convict us of sin, to point out our need for Christ. The law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. We looked at that in the, in the prior weeks. But ultimately, part of what he's trying to say is, guys, the, the, law, the law is useful. But, but the virus was real before the law ever existed. Like, we don't need the law to be found guilty. So where does this idea come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to the very beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. I don't know why the joke always is when other people are teaching up here, like Doug says, it's to the left of Revelation. I don't ever remember saying that about the book of Genesis. But, um, but Genesis chapter 1, and we're, I just want to, and I'm not going to spend, I'm not teaching on Genesis, but, and, and I have spent a lot of time teaching these first three um, chapters of Genesis in the past, even recently, but I just want to remind us of something. Look at chapter 1, verse 26 and 20, or 25 and 26. No, I'm sorry, 26 and 27. Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So this is during creation. Then God said, let us, so the triune Godhead, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So he already knows there's going to be more than one. He doesn't say let him. He says let them have dominion over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps. So in verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created them. And then... And then the story, that's not how the story, so then in chapter two, God gives us sort of like a blown up version, an expanded version of what did it look like when he created them. So now look at verse seven of chapter two. He says, so this is how I did it. It says, then the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed his, 
into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breathed and breath of life is the same word we use for the Holy Spirit. It's literally saying he put the Holy Spirit into Adam. It's the only part of creation where that happens because we are not just physical, we are spiritual. That's going to come up again here in a little bit back when we get back in Romans. So hang on to that because look at what he says. And the man became a living creature. That's, that's not just physical living creatures. Lots of creatures had become alive. He was living in the spiritual sense. And then it says, so, so in the interest of time, just jump down to verse, 20, or verse, to verse 17. So here's the rule. Here's the rule that makes us all guilty We're before, whether we know the Ten Commandments or not. Right? Whether we know the law, the Pentateuch, or not, here's what makes us all guilty. He only had one thing he told them not to do. So this is before Eve is made, he says, but he's, he's telling them in verse 16, you surely can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it you shall die. Spiritually die is what he's talking about there. And then ultimately physically and then he says in verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. It's the only time in the first two chapters of Genesis that you hear the words not good. It's not good that man should be alone. So he makes a helper suitable. He makes Eve. Now let's, so, so now we have Adam and Eve in the garden and they've got one rule. That's it. That is the law. You know what the law is? Don't touch that tree. That's it. What did that compel them to do? Why? Because it's just it's part of us. Right, Even pre-fall, because now look what happens. We know in chapter 3, Satan slithers up to Eve. They've probably been having this ongoing dialogue. And the first thing he does is he says, so did God really mean not to touch the tree? And we see that kind of attack happening all around us in our culture. Does God really mean one man and one woman for all of life? Does God really mean that? I don't know. Not really. Maybe not. Yes, he does. Right? So, so we see that happening all the time. Now look, but, but look what happens. So jump down to verse so they eat, so they eat, Eve eats, hands the, hands the, um, gives the fruit to Adam, Adam willingly eats, and it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, that's a way for them, that's a way of saying, that's a way of saying some part of them died, like their nakedness became evident to them, because the spiritual part of them has died, and, and to cover it up, they sew fig leaves together for themselves. Guys, that is where death enters the world. That is where the virus starts. But praise the Lord, it doesn't end there, right? Because before we go back to Romans, and Paul's going to outline all this, look at, chap, look at verse 21 of Genesis. It says, And the Lord God made Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Guys, understand something. I understand that the story doesn't end with God judging them. Right? God, God curses a lot of things in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. He curses Satan. He curses the land. Like we skipped those verses, but he curses a lot of things. You know who he doesn't curse? Adam and Eve. You know what he does to Adam and Eve? He covers them. Guys, that, that's the gospel. God does not curse us in our fallenness. He, he offers a covering, but it comes through the death of an innocent. This animal dies, that part's a little left out, but the, the skin had to come from somewhere, dies to cover their sin. Guys, the gospel message has always been this message of that we are ruined. We are broken people who are rescued by God. 
But here's the part that we gotta, we're going to get to today, Lord willing. So that we might reign with him. Like, that's the gospel. Sometimes we're just, we're so almost stuck in this cycle of ruin, rescued, ruin, rescued, ruin, rescued, that we don't get to the reign. And we want to get to the reign. That's the R-E-I-G-N, um, not the R-A-I-N, reign. But that is God's gospel story. So go back to Romans 5 and look at verse 14. He says, yet death, there's that word, reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Guys, we all wander. I mean, the, the, whole, the, the point of that Genesis account, the point that Paul's making here in pulling that Genesis story forward into Romans 5 is to say, guys, with or without the law, we all wander from God. It's just part of how we are wired. So what does the law do? Well, the law shows, guys, the here, here's a, a really easy example. Or a, here's an example I thought of about like, what, like what's, what's the difference between sinning with the law and sinning without the law? Because we're guilty either way. I mean, we have several police officers in our midst on any given Sunday. Guys, is ignorance to the law an excuse? Nope. If I get pulled over for doing 75 and a 35, and me saying I didn't know it was, thir- that it was 35, is that going to stop me from getting a really large ticket? Jail. Or jail. <laughs> either one. No. The answer is No. Because so I grew up at the Grand Canyon in the summers when I was down here for college. I'd go back up. I'd work as a, I'm, I worked as a park ranger and as a wildland firefighter. And we did a lot of trail work when we weren't out doing other stuff. Like, like, and one of the things we had to do all the time was fix parts of the trail where people were cutting the switchbacks. They called it, right? And the, so if you've ever hiked the canyon or even places on, on Thunderbird, it's the same thing. You see switchbacks go like this. And because people are who they are, we don't like the path that has been laid out for us. We look and we go, but if I'm here and I want to get here, rather than do all this, why don't I just go there? Right? Now, there's a lot of reasons they don't build trails that way. And there's also a lot of reasons we didn't want people going that way that I won't get into today because this is not a message about trail building. Here was the thing. When I would see somebody cutting the switchback and, and there was no, like, and, and they were obviously new to this hiking thing. Like, you know, they were wearing flip-flops or something in the Grand Canyon and they were, you know, not, yeah. And, and I'd be like, okay, they don't know. And I would explain to them, hey, here's why we don't want you to cut. But, but when I would see somebody walk by one of our big signs that says, please do not cross the switchbacks, my, my patience tore, and they would walk by that sign as they're cutting the switchback. My patience towards them was much less. Why? Because I would go, you have no excuse now. Like ignorance, for, at some level for me, was an excuse. But the law, the reason the law comes forward is it's like, hey, you have no excuse. Right now, now we have his word. So did Adam and Eve. They had one word. Don't do this one thing. Right? But it brings out to us, it should, it should evidence to us, like not knowing or knowing and then not doing, both of them are wrong, and, and we are guilty of both. And that's ultimately what Paul is trying to, to, Paul is trying to tell us here in this, in this first part of this first passage. So look at your talking points question, um, your second talking points question. Let me see if I can find it here. So it says, how dead is the world apart from, from Christ? How dead are you? And how might this move you to, to the mission? Guys, remember, just because we, we look and we go, I, I, what connection do I have to Adam and Eve? What, guys, we have all been plagued by this virus. 
and we, don't, we haven't just been plagued by the brokenness of the world. We partner in it and practice it all the time. Rules we, rules we know about and rules we don't know about is just part of who we are. We, that we cannot forget that. So how broken is this world? How dead is this world? What's the answer? Very, not, just, not even just very. Completely dead. Guys, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, a passage we've, we've been in a lot lately because it really summarizes what Paul's talking about in the first, really, eight chapters of Romans. He does in a few verses in, in Ephesians chapter 2. But when he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he is not saying mostly dead. He is saying you are completely, utterly, stone cold dead. That's the world. That, and, and then he goes on in the rest of, the rest of um, in verses 2 and 3. And he's like, let me just tell you, here's why you were this dead. You were just completely dead. But then he goes to verse 4. But God, when you were completely dead, made you alive. Now how should that compel us to interact with a world that doesn't know verse 4? They're living in verses one through three. In their heart of hearts, they, somewhere down inside of them, God has put eternity in their hearts, it says. They know there's something, and, they're, and they are trying to mask that deadness with every kind of false hope they can find. Right? And we do too, sadly. But how should that make us relate to those people? Right? Instead of saying, how can they... Why do they? We say, of course they do. Of course they cut the switchbacks. Right? They don't know. They don't understand. And we need to pursue them that way. So with that, let's go back to our passage in Romans and look at our second point. So sin's death means, second point is, means we all need life. Look at verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. He's saying, so the gift, that, the, the antidote is not like the disease. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of, has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Tirsa, by the way, you did a great job with this passage because it is a real tongue twister in any translation. I'm like, Paul, just like speak English, but he didn't. Um, so he couldn't, but that's okay. And then verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So he's saying, guys, they made one mistake, and the disease spread slowly. The point Paul's making in these three verses is sin creeps slowly. It's the slow fade. But he's like, but grace abounds triumphantly and like immediately. And, and even though there's all of these sins that have piled up throughout the world from the time of Adam till now, when grace invades that space, it's over. Like that. Sin is this like slow seeping. Grace is more immediate. So look at what he says. For if by one man's trespass, I'm in verse 17, death reigned through that one man much more Will all those who receive the abundance of grace, remember that phrase, receive the abundance of grace 
and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man who is Christ. Guys, ultimately the point Paul's trying to make to us here in these three, pass- three verses of this passage is grace is way more powerful than sin. One sin by one man caused this whole mess. One action by the perfect God-man fixed it immediately and completely. And Paul is trying to help us see that. Guys, write this down. Nothing we lost in Adam is greater than what we gain in Christ. Nothing we lost in Adam. You say, but why? Why would God do it that way? Why would God allow this? Because there are lots of why questions that we don't get the answer to. I understand that. But ultimately, it's to show us the magnitude and the beauty of the grace that we only get if Christ had to come. That's it. And nothing we lost in, this, in Adam. Guys, we don't need to argue that we're not sinners. Just admit it. That's all we need to do because Christ covered it. Admit your need and come to Jesus. That's all we have to do. Right? It, and yet we, we have this such, even, even within the church, we have this such an aversion to just admitting our need. Man, I'm not needy. And I think it's because we don't really believe that grace is as good as it is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you turn to, uh, turn to the right of where we are, to the right of where we are, yes, to the left of Revelation, to the right of where we are, to, to 1 Corinthians 15. It's just, it's just one book over. It's towards the end of that big book, so it's a few pages. But it's turned to, guys, and I, and I want to, it's a passage that we, ought, you, we have looked at many times on Resurrection Sunday. We will not this coming um, in a couple weeks on Resurrection Sunday. But I want you to look at verse, um, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and starting in verse 21. Guys, do we really understand this is what grace does? When we talk about death to life, sin's death means we all need life. Do we really see life this way? Look at what he says in verse 21. This is Paul, the same guy that wrote Romans, writing this. For as by a man came death, so there he goes again with that argument about Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also shall shall all be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, like when Jesus comes again. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Do you see how he's even pulling like this whole conversation about rules and law and, and, and transgression? He's pulling this forward even all the way to the end of the coming kingdom at the, um, at the rapture and the, and the final judgment. And then he says, look at um, verse 25. Then, then he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, guys, we read that and go, praise the Lord, death to life. But here's the thing. We, it gets better. That's not the end of the story. It gets better than that, like way better. You think, well, how can it get better than like I was dead, now I'm alive? Glad you asked. Look at verse 45. So we're just going to, in the interest of time, we're going to skip to 45. He says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Remember? He blew his Holy Spirit into Adam. He became a living being, but then he died when he sinned. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam is Jesus, by the way. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth. That's Adam, made out of the dust, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Christ. As, has that, as, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is, now get this. So in other words, he's saying, though, as Adam died in his sin, physically, so are all those who are of him. Everyone dies. But then he says this, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, now get this, the image of the man of dust, we've been born in, in the image of God, in the image of Adam and Eve, he created them. We've been born in that image. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Because that's what grace does. Grace doesn't just get you by. Right? Grace doesn't just help you persevere. Grace transforms you and conforms you into the very image of Christ. That's why we need the grace of God. Now go back to Romans. Let's look at the last couple of verses in that section. He says, therefore, verse 18 of Romans 5, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness, that's the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as one man's disobedience, then many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now there's a one, I, wanna, I, just, I have to step back, even though I don't really have time, and this isn't a message about this, and talk about this idea of, of all and many. Because there are people that will use these passages, verses 17, 18, and 19, to talk about what's called universal salvation. Christians, I mean, people that profess faith in Christ that are called universalists. It's huge in the progressive church right now, right? And they talk about how everyone is saved. And they'll point to passages like this and they'll say, see, he says right here, it'll bring all unto salvation. Guys, well, first of all, there's, there's several ways, and we talked about this a little bit in our soteriology class on Tuesday night in the training center. So we have some experts among us, so talk to them about it. If um, after the service, if you have questions, don't come to me, go to them. And... Um, because I don't know the answer. And, but, but ultimately, some, sometimes when Paul, well, the Bible, but specifically, especially Paul, uses the word like all and many, he's, he's, he's differentiating Jew and Gentile. Right? He's, he's like, there's, there, not all the time, but sometimes when he says all, what he really means, he doesn't mean all people like every human who's ever lived. He means all tribes, tongues, and nations. Does that make sense? Because in his world, there were two camps. There was the Jew, and there was everybody else. And what Paul is pressing and pressing and pressing in all of his letters is, Jesus died for everybody. Not every single soul, for every kind of person. Does that make sense? So when you see words like all and many, we have to stop and go, is he talking about like every single person? Or is he talking about Every, like people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every ethnic group, right? The only alternative is to believe that everyone is saved. And the, and the totality of Scripture shows that is not, not even close to true. But you know what, guys? I'll eat a little secret. We don't even have to go to the totality of Scripture. Just look at verse 17 of where we are, which is the passage that universalists use to make their point. Remember I told you to remember this verse? this part of this verse, verse 17, he says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of, righteous, 
of the righteous reign and life through one, the one man, Jesus Christ. So who are the many who come to faith? Those who receive the abundance. He's not saying everybody. He doesn't say, and everyone will receive the abundance of grace. He says, those now, from that point on, who receives the abundance of grace? That was our conversation on Tuesday. Go talk to those people. But the idea is, he is not preaching universalism. He is not preaching universal salvation. But guys, let's, okay, fine. Why does any of this matter, though? Not just, not the universal salvation, but just this whole idea of, um, of through one man's obedience and one man's disobedience. Like, why, why are we here in this part? Guys, here's why. It goes back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. If, if the if the grace of God is not making a, bigger, a big enough difference in your life, like if the grace of God is not invading your life on a regular basis, might I humbly suggest that it's because you don't believe you need it to the extent that you should. I'm talking to believer and unbeliever. Like the believer invading, like the grace, if the grace of God, or the unbeliever, if the grace of God has not invaded your life, it's because you don't believe you're a sinner. I'm just good enough. I'm better than that person. God keeps score, and I've got to be on the, on the plus side of the whole bell curve, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But as believers, we're the same way. We come to faith in Christ. Go, maybe even if you came to faith in Christ going, I know I completely needed him. Then we, then we walk day by day going, but I better figure this out on my own. I, man, I, better, I just better white knuckle this walk all on my own. Or he hasn't really transformed me into his image. So who am I to go and share the gospel with other people? Right? The, guys, when we have those kinds of thoughts, what we are doing is we are diminishing the grace of God. And that is ultimately Paul's like, guys, understand. Yeah, we all have the same sin problem. But in Christ, we have the solution that is abundantly, abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. And he'll get there with our last point. But before we do that, look at our last talking points question. He says, God, it says, God does not discard his broken things. He pays to have them fixed. That is the heart of the gospel. Has the love of God invaded your heart? Pray to that end. And even if you have already been redeemed, pray that the gospel would invade your life. Because God did not die for some better future version of you. Jesus went to the cross with the messed up you on his mind. And that's good enough for him. It ought to be good enough for you. Right? We ought to be able to let it go. Because he did. And we have such a hard time with that. Guys, get this before we move on to our last point. I know we're over time. Understand this. In disobedience, Adam and Eve. This is, this is really the point Paul has made until he gets to these last two verses in the, in the chapter. In disobedience, Adam and Eve grasped a hold of something. Right? What did they do? They disobeyed and they grasped the fruit. What is Jesus' obedient answer to the Father? Because we have to, if, don't believe me, turn to Philippians. 
Philippians 2. Because we, for, for, us to, for us to live in the transforming grace that Jesus provides for us, like for the, for the gospel to really invade our lives, we have to come to this place. Christ did. Right? Look, look in his humanity, look at what happens. And there's a lot here we're not going to spend time talking about. But in, in Philippians 2 and verse 5, he says, hey, Paul, same guy wrote Romans, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count the equality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself to the point of death. He says, and, have, and then verse 8, being found in, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's called the kenosis. We talked about it in the training center. It's, part of it's a mystery, but the bottom line is Je- Jesus had to willingly absolve himself in some form of some of his soup, like godly attributes. He was always still God, but they express themselves differently. Guys, guys, just, just put it this, just think about it this way. If you read your daily readings yesterday, we were in Revelation chapter five. That's the scene where Jesus walks up, the lamb as if slain, walks up and grabs the scroll of the deed. I think it was Revelation five yesterday. Is that, no, oh, sorry. That's this coming Friday's, Saturday's reading. <laughs> sorry, I'm a week ahead. So you're gonna see this, Im- this image of Jesus, Revelation five. Jesus walks up, takes the scroll from God. It's the, de- it's the, it's the, um, the, the ownership deed of all the earth, right? And they're all like, who's worthy? And Jesus is like, I am, I'll take it. Hair glowing, eyes aflame, tongue like a sword. Guys, that's Jesus. He, did he look that way when he was here the first time? No, he emptied himself. He willingly, would, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. Guys, if I looked like Thor, I would not look like this, right? I mean, what, seriously. I mean, and, and, God's, and Jesus is like, no, but I willingly will do that. He let go. And Paul's saying we should too. Now, how do, how do we do that? Again, I'm glad, since we're right there, look at Philippians 3. So here's Paul going, okay, in light of that, in light of this gospel invading my life, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Verse, chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the surpassing value of knowing him. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness that is not of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and enjoy the fellowship of his suffering. That I might do all whatever needs to be done, that I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Guys, do you understand? Like, that's what it looks like when the gospel invades your life. Let's go back to Romans and we'll finish. We're going to land this plane. Verse, so, sin's death means we all need life that only comes through Christ. And in verses 20 and 21, that's the point Paul's going to make. He says, now the law came in, came in to increase the trespass, to, to let us know we're cutting the switchbacks. But where sin increased, 
grace abounded all the more. Guys, that word abounded in the Greek is hypostericio. Here's why, here's why he could have used a lot of different words there. It, it actually means super abounding. It's like, it's like he, he couldn't think of a bigger word. So you can picture Paul being inspired by the Spirit when he talks about grace abounding and just like what, what real, like when, when all of grace invades all of your life, he's like, I gotta have a word that's gonna say, man, this isn't just that grace is big. He's like, what's a word that would be like mega grace? That's it. He's like, that grace might be mega grace. It might be overflowing, never ending, supernatural, completely controlling. Like that's ultimately the picture he's trying to convey for us. Guys, get this. You cannot, cannot, cannot out God's grace. Some of us live such mediocre Christian lives because even after we came to faith in Christ, we stumbled, we fell, we fall, we all do it. Guys, who here knows they're a sinner? Okay, look around. Keep your hands up. If your hand's not up, you're in good company. You ought to just admit it. Seriously. Put your hands down. Guys, that's the point. The the point Paul's making is, guys, God's grace is so massive. Get over yourself. Stop thinking you have any part in this. Here's your only part. Let go. Just let go. Right? Just let go of yourself. Let go of your. And then he says in the last, last part, I'll have the music team come up with this. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, what's the point of grace? What's the point of this abundant grace? that we might live. Death to life. But guys, don't just hear, I was dead and now I'm saved. Yes, praise the Lord for that. If that's all grace did, that would be enough. That's not grace, that's mercy. Right? Grace goes beyond that. Grace says, I came that you might have life and life to the full. John 10.10. That you might have life abundantly. Why, but guys, why don't we live that way? I look around at all these in my own life too, and I look and I go, I don't understand the defeated Christian life, and yet I completely understand it. You know why? Because I'm guilty of living it way too often. You know why? Because this world is hard. Guys, I get that there are real things on this planet right now that remind us of the death of this planet, that remind us of the death of our own flesh. Paul's going to tell us that when we get to Romans 7. I get that there are real things right now in your life that remind, that you're like, yeah, Doug, you can talk about victory and grace and power and invading, and I'm just living here trying to get through today. Jesus gets you. He does. Guys, I understand there is real illness. There is real physical death. Some of us have lost loved ones in the last year. I get that there's real things like depression and discouragement and division. I I, I understand that. Guys, I understand that there is a lot of self-inflicted stuff that we do. A lot of addiction stuff, pornography. Guys, these things remind us. Guys, if you want something that's going to remind you that you're dead, that's it, gentlemen. And we need to put that to death. Not just get victory over it. We need to kill it. 
Because it's a constant, it's something the enemy is using to remind you, nope, you're not alive. Nope, you're not alive. And that is a lie. But guys, so is substance abuse. So is binge watching Netflix. Guys, are the things you're watching and the, and the music you're listening to, and I don't listen to only Christian stuff, and I don't only watch Christian shows. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, are the things that you're watching and the things you're listening to, are they speaking words of life or death over you? Are you walking away from those moments feeling better about yourself, about your relationship with Jesus? Is your countenance lifted? Is the weight removed? Can you breathe again? Or are you sitting there going, oh, is the news you're watching, the politics you're following, the people that you're, that you're following on your feeds. Are, are, when you get done with that, do you feel better or do you feel like you need a shower? That's the difference, guys. That's what grace does. Grace says, no. I, I'm going to live in the abundance that Christ died for. I, I want that for me. Because I want that for you. Death to life. Who's ready to live? Who's ready to live? Amen. So keep your hands up while I pray. Father, I do come to you right now with my brothers and sisters who have their hands up. And I, and I pray that we would live consistent with, with what you brought us to life for. Lord, I, I pray that, that we would remember that you did not call us to life and leave us in a cemetery. You didn't call us to life and go, good luck with that. You called us to life and then you said, now go. I have all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go in my name and live my life through you. That's what he died for. Lord, that's what you came here to do for us. So what I want to pray right now that, that we would just live life to the full. And I pray for those that are not yet born again. But whether they be the ones here or the ones online or that hear this on a podcast 10 years from now, if you haven't come back. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would be transferred from the kingdom of death and darkness and into your marvelous light for the fame and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.